Go ahead and find a seat if you would. Those words are so encouraging that one day soon the war will be over. He'll wipe away every tear and and this, this plan of redemption, this story that God's been writing will come to a close and it will be, it'll be complete. But for now, it's still being written. The plan of redemption and God's plan to save a lost and broken world is still unfolding. So welcome again to Christ Church here today. If you're joining us online or in the building, great to be together. If you would, grab your Bibles. Go over to Exodus chapter 3. We're continuing our series called Take Aim. We've been talking about the marks of a disciple um, and one of, one of the marks of a disciple is that a disciple draws near to Christ. We've been talking about that over the last few weeks. Today we're going to be talking about drawing near to do the will of God. Drawing near to do the will of God. God's plan of redemption, his, his redemptive story again is still being written. Over the last few weeks we've talked about the principles of drawing near and, and what that looks like and how that happens, and then what are some of the hindrances? And, and today we're going to kind of take a unique look at this, this story over in Exodus 3 and 4 as, as drawing near what happens when we begin to draw near to the Lord is that our heart and our will begins to align, our desires align with His, and He calls us, He calls us to join Him in His work. Now, if you've ever sensed that God is calling you to join Him in His work, I promise what is in front of you will feel too big, too intimidating, too daunting. Like, it's, it, I can't. I'm not, I'm not adequate. I'm not cut out for that. I don't have what it takes. And if so, if you're feeling that in your life, like there's this thing you know the Lord's called you to that feels a little bit too big for you to handle, I just want to encourage you today by saying you are in very good company. That is normal. Me too and everybody whom God has called to join him in his work. So the specific title of today's message is Overcoming Inadequacy. As we draw near to do God's will, we are faced with our own inadequacies. And joining him in his work requires us to abide, to to reside, to draw near on a continual basis. So before we approach this text over in Genesis chapter 3 and 4, let's take a moment and pray. Father, we bring all all of us before you today. Uh, it, it is true to say that we battle with fears and insecurities. We battle with not being good enough, not having what it takes, not being adequate for your work and what you would call us to do. And so today as we look a little bit in Moses' life and as we talk through and study this passage a, a bit more closely, I pray by your spirit that you would reveal truth that would set us free from the lies of an inadequacy. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Genesis 1 and 2, let me give you a quick flyby. Moses has, has grown up in the palace of Pharaoh. Egypt is the superpower of the day, the most powerful nation on earth, and Pharaoh is the king of Egypt. Many of Moses' peers, probably some of his siblings, were, were, did not survive because the nation of Israel had begun to grow and develop. They'd been there for a long time. Pharaoh was beginning to feel threatened by the power that could come from this, this growing nation that was living in the land of Egypt. So he begins to put measures in place to stop and to suppress. A- among these measures are killing male children when they're born. And Moses was one that should have been killed but wasn't, was miraculously spared, and he actually grew up 
in Pharaoh's palace, but he, was, he knew that he was a Hebrew and he was kind of living this double life, surely struggling with who he really was. And so at about the age of 40, Moses goes out one day and he sees one of his fellow countrymen being, being abused, being oppressed by an Egyptian taskmaster. And because he's a Hebrew, he's like, I have this sense that I'm supposed to deliver my people. He had this calling that he was to be a deliverer. So it says he kind of looked to the right and the left, and he kills this Egyptian taskmaster who's beating this Hebrew slave. And he buries him in the sand, thinking that he's done a good thing. He's like, I'm doing my job. I'm the deliverer. Comes back the next day, he sees two of his fellow countrymen arguing, fighting, and he goes, hey guys, what are, what are you fighting about? He's trying to be this like peacemaker deliverer, right? And they go, oh, are you going to kill us like you did that dude yesterday? Yeah, you see that lump in the sand over there? That's, we, we know what you did, right? Moses freaks out. He's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe. Pharaoh finds out. Now, Pharaoh wants to take Moses' life, so Moses flees to the wilderness, and he, so he's at the age of 40. Now, the next 40 years of his life, he's on the backside of the wilderness, and he's just tending sheep. He's a shepherd. At the end of Genesis chapter 46, this is important to understand in, in the cultural context. At the end of Genesis 46, we see that in Egyptian culture, they considered shepherds to be disgusting. They stunk they were dirty, messy. They were hanging out with the sheep all day. If you were a shepherd, it actually says you were an abomination in Egypt. So Moses grew up in the palace. Now he's, for the next 40 years, he's become the very thing that would have been considered to be despicable, right? And he has this encounter with God. Maybe you're familiar with the story or maybe you're, you're hearing this for the first time. He has this encounter with God in this burning bush experience. And let's pick it up here in verse 7. As the Lord begins to speak to Moses through this burning bush, in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, it may have stood out to you as we were reading that, how many times does God say, I or me, speaking? Eight different times God says, I I have heard, I have decided, I am going to do this. I, these, these are my people, this is my purpose, I'm going to do this. And two times he says, Moses, I'm going to send you and I want you to bring my people out of this land. So the question is, who's doing the doing here? First big key of this story in overcoming inadequacy, who's doing the doing? I'll give you a clue, it's not Moses. It's not Moses' thing. And yet Moses' response and his internal struggle is so much like us. I don't, when I read this, it reads me. When I read this story of Moses, I'm like, I see Jeremy all day long. 
We're so good at rationalizing our reasons about why we can't do what God calls us to do. And Moses responds by making five big excuses. Five, what let's call I am not statements. Let's look at the first one here in chapter 3, verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I? First big, well, who am I? That I should go to Pharaoh and, and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. His first big question, first big I am not statement is this, I am not influential. Great excuse, Moses. Moses is like, no, you, you probably want someone who's got more power or more position. Hey, God, remember how that whole shepherd thing works in Egypt? They think I'm disgusting. I'm nobody. Who am I? I don't have power. I don't have title. I don't have position. He's not going to listen to me. I'm just a shepherd. And God's response is telling. He goes, I will be with you, and then I'm going to give you a sign to encourage you. I'll be with you, his presence. His first promise to Moses, in the face of Moses' excuse of, I'm just, I'm nobody, I'm not influential, he says, I'm going to be with you. Let's look at verse 13 here in chapter 3. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what is his name? What shall I tell them? So Moses' second excuse is, or his second I am not statement is, I'm not knowledgeable. Okay, so first of all, I'm not influential. I'm nobody. I'm just a shepherd. Shepherds are an abomination. They think I'm disgusting. I'm nobody. The second is, I'm not knowledgeable. What if they ask me questions that I don't know the answer to? That, that's a great question. You, that probably will happen. <laughs> what if they ask and I don't know? And God's answer here, because you see, Moses, Moses is, is stuck on, I am not. God said, I've heard, I'm going to do this, this is my work, I, I, this is what I'm doing. And Moses is like, yeah, but I'm not, I'm not, and what if, and what about, and how come, and what a baba, I am not, I am not, I am not, I am not knowledgeable. What if they ask me questions? I don't know. And God says, you tell them, in verse 14, I am who I am. And he said, say to this people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. We could stop there and talk for a long time about why God chose to call himself I am. But in the context, Moses is so caught up with I am not that God's trying to get his attention off of what he's not onto who he is. I am. In contrast, there, there were many Egyptian gods. God is saying, I am the one true God. I am the almighty, eternal, no beginning, no end. I am the ever-present help in time of need. I am everything that you need. I am everything that you will possibly run into. I am. Just trust me. Over in the New Testament, in the book of John, we see Jesus make seven I am statements that echo this, this God identifying himself as I am. They're up on the screen for you. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. What Jesus is saying to us in conjunction with what God was saying to Moses is, I am everything you need. Take your eyes off of what you're not and put your eyes on who I am. 
he's trying to help Moses come out of this overwhelming sense of inadequacy and insecurity. Skip over to to chapter 4. The conversation goes on, and in verse 1 here, we see, Then Moses answered, Behold, they will not listen, they will not believe or listen to my voice. For they will say, The Lord your God did not appear to you. Here's excuse number three. They're not going to believe me. I am not credible. I am not influential. I am not knowledgeable. I am not credible. Has anybody ever felt those things before? When God's like, I'm calling you to join me in my work. And you're like, yeah, but I am not. And God's like, but I am. I am not credible. And God's response is so interesting. Given the fact that he knows that in Egyptian culture, shepherds are are despicable, they're an abomination, they're gross. He says in verse 2 of chapter 4, the Lord said to him, what's that in your hand? You know what Moses had in his hand at that time? He was holding a shepherd's staff. Essentially, he was holding a big stick, okay? His staff was what he used to shepherd. God goes, what's that in your hand? Oh, it's a staff. God's like, oh, that'll do, that's great. Let's go with that, right? Throw it on the ground. Moses throws it on the ground. It turns into a snake. He's like, ah! He runs away from it, as, as we, you should, right? I'd be scared too. It wasn't just some random thing. Snakes were representative of life and power in Egyptian culture, which is why later you see Moses' snake eating the two Egyptian magician snakes. Because what God is saying is he's saying, I'm greater, I'm more powerful. I'm the one true God. The Egyptians were polytheistic. They had all these gods they worshipped. The god of the Nile was named Hapi, H-A-P-I. You know, each of the plagues, the successive plagues that God would send to Egypt weren't just random. God didn't go, what should we do today? We haven't done lice in a while. Let's do lice. You guys feel like lice? Let's do lice. How about frogs tomorrow? They weren't just random. Every one of the plagues was aimed at disabling one of the Egyptian gods that they worshipped. So when Moses throws his rod on the ground, it turns into a snake. It was actually a sign of power. The Egyptians would have understood this. He doesn't just do that. He goes, Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. He puts his hand inside. Take your hand out. Moses takes his hand out, and it's white with leprosy, which was an incurable skin disease. Ah! (laughs) Would you freak out? I'd freak out. He goes, put your hand back inside your cloak. Puts it back in, pulls it out, and it's completely healed. God's saying, I have power over what is considered incurable. I have power over Egyptian power. I can heal whatever. Listen, I am. I am, Mo. I am. He goes on and he says, I want you to, you're, when you're there, you're going to touch the Nile River. It's going to turn to blood. They would have considered blood disgusting. And they worshipped the Nile River as the source of life. And the god Hapi, who was the god of the Nile. So when God turns it to blood, it was like an, it was an abomination. They're thinking, our gods are powerless against this one true God. He's like, Moses, I'm going to show my power through you. Stop with the I am not and just focus on who I am. And God's so patient and he's so good to Moses. Look at verse 10. Here's here's the fourth excuse over in chapter 4. Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and of tongue. Here's Moses' fourth excuse. I am not gifted. (laughs) 
oh my gosh, I'm not influential, I am not knowledgeable, I am not credible, and I certainly do not have what it takes to do what you're telling me to do. I'm not gifted enough for that. You want to send me, slow, stuttering, can't get a sentence out of it, to go talk to Pharaoh, the most powerful man on earth, and you want me, I don't, I don't have the gift set for that. That's some, somebody, else, somebody else has got, I don't have what it takes. God's response, Moses, I'm the one who gives people the ability to do these things. Don't forget, I will give you the ability and I'll teach you how to do this. Again, get off who you're not and get on to who I am. Moses is still wrestling. God's answered all the questions. He's assured him of his power, of his presence, of his provision. And Moses is like, I, I'm just... Let's read verse 13 and 14. This is a great like, way to wrap it up, Moses. But then he said in verse 13, please send someone else. <laughs> like that's Moses finally. Just, no, just send somebody else, right? I mean, I see myself in that. Like after God has answered all of the questions and, and comforted all of the insecurities, Moses is like, just send somebody else. Are we not sometimes though hoping that somebody else will do what God's called us to do? And at this point, it says that God was angry with Moses because it wasn't so much about, well, I need something more or I need assurance or I need your power. I need some proof. God had already done all these things. And Moses, at this point, his fifth I am not is simply this, I am not willing. That's why God was angry. Because it was no longer a lack of faith. It was no longer a, an insecurity or an inadequacy that he was wrestling with. It was a simply, I just don't want to. I'm good. I'm good in obscurity. I'm good just doing what I do. I already failed 40 years ago. Not interested in going back and doing that again. Just leave me alone. I just want to be a shepherd the rest of my life. I'm good. I just want to stay here. It was a disobedience issue at this point. So God says, in paraphrase, look, your brother Aaron's coming. He's a good speaker. I'm going to send him with you. Like, I'm going to give you people around you that are going to be strong and gifted in the areas that you're not, right? All of Moses' reasons were about himself. All of Moses' excuses were based in I am not. And God kept bringing him back to I am. I am. And maybe, maybe, like me, like so many others, you feel just like Moses. There's this thing in front of you, you're like, I know that God's called me to this, but I'm not adequate. I'm terrified. I'm insecure. I'm full of doubt. I don't have the knowledge that it takes. I'm not gifted enough. I am overwhelmed. I'm afraid. I have failed in times past. I don't want to fail again. I just would rather live in the comfort of obscurity and just the ordinary, like day to day. God, no, just send somebody else. Can somebody else just do this? As we, as we think about in reflection, how does this passage apply to us today? Well, let me just kind of give you a few big thoughts. This was the unfolding plan of redemption that God set in motion a long, long time ago. A plan of redemption that is still active to this day. God is not done with his plan to redeem and to save a broken, lost mankind. We're looking back at Moses through the cross of Jesus Christ 
How does this land on us today? Well, the same thing that was true for Moses is the same thing that is true for us as we are used of God to accomplish his purpose. And it's this, overcoming inadequacy is a journey of faith in God's limitless ability. Overcoming inadequacy, it's a journey of faith. It takes time. You grow in it over time. God is really, really patient. Your faith grows. As you look back, you see his faithfulness and everything that he's done. And it gives you faith to look ahead and to take that next step. It's a journey of faith in God's limitless ability. Along the way, you lose yourself. All of the fears and the inadequacies and the I'm not good enough and I don't have what it takes, it just begins to silence and die off as you get consumed and fixated on God's limitless ability. That's the key. So I want to just share with you today six truths that kind of come out of this passage that will help free you from the lies of inadequacy. The first one is this. God calls you to join him in his work. Remember, who was doing the doing? It wasn't Moses. God didn't say, Moses, I want you to go do this and this and this, and then I want you to do this, and I want you to do this, and I'm just going to kind of wait here, and you just come back and tell me how, how it goes. I'd be like, no thanks. God never said any of that. God said, I am going to. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. I have moved. I've heard the cry of my people. They're my people. I'm going to rescue them. And Moses, I'm going to send you, but I'm going to go with you. My presence is with you every step of the way. He calls you to join him in his work. You don't have to be a big shot. You don't have to have superpowers and super abilities and super knowledge. And, and man, if I get myself in a spot where I don't know the answers, I can't because I don't have knowledge. You know the truth of scripture and the pattern we see through and through is that God works through willing, obedient, humble, faithful vessels. The God who sends you is with you every step of the way. So doing the will of God requires abiding in Christ. It requires drawing near all the time. He's like, my presence is with you. He works through willing, humble, obedient faithful vessels. That's all of us. All of us can be that. Here's the second thing that will free you, the second truth that will free you from the lie of inadequacy. God's not concerned with your inability. We tend to think that I'm not qualified because I don't have A, B, and C. And God's like, actually, that's why I'm calling you. <laughs> Look what it says in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 to 29. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Do you feel like I don't have what it takes? I'm inadequate, I'm not good enough, I'm afraid I'm insecure. You are the perfect candidate for God to work through. You're just like Moses. I'm just like Moses. Like, I, no, I, no, no. Maybe you, you look at your lack of confidence and, and you think that that's what keeps you from 
But actually, that's the thing that propels you into it because it requires you to draw near and to stay close all the time and to rest in God's ability and to forget your own inability. Here's number three. It's okay to do it afraid. Man, I know in my humanness, sometimes I'm like, if I'm, if I'm a, fear has a paralyzing effect. If I'm afraid, I can't move. What I've learned through the years is that faith is not the absence of fear. Faith is saying, I feel all these things. I feel inadequate. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. I feel like I don't know what I'm doing. I feel like I'm going to fail. I feel like nobody's going to listen. I'm inadequate. I'm inadequate. I'm inadequate. And faith is going, who am I? I'm going to trust the I am. And I'm going to take a step of faith. Welcome to the club if that's how you feel. You bring your fears and your insecurities to God. Overcoming inadequacy is a journey of faith in God's limitless ability. It's okay to do it afraid. It's okay. Number four, and that leads us right into number four, is God's calling always requires faith. There's no way around this. The calling of God will always feel bigger and more daunting and more intimidating than what you feel you have the ability to accomplish in your own ability. That's why it requires faith. It's bigger than you. It's bigger than me. I love Hebrews 10 through 12. If you've got time this afternoon and you want to kind of dive more deeply, go home this afternoon and just read Hebrews 10 to 12. And right in the middle is 11, and it's called the Hall of Faith like the Hall of Fame, but the Hall of Faith. And it lists these people that walked in faith, that trusted the great I am. Let's read a little bit out of Hebrews 11 here, verses one and two. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That can be a little bit confusing. What does that mean? It means that faith is is what's inside of you that sees something here before it's actually physically manifest out here. Faith is what propels you to move. Faith is what's in you going, I see it with my eyes closed before I see it with my eyes open. His calling always requires faith. In verse 2, for by it, faith, the people of old received their commendation. This is the hall of faith. Skip over to verse 6 in Hebrews 11. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and he rewards those who seek him. It's impossible. God's calling always requires faith. We sing a song here at Christ Church called the Hymn of Heaven. It's become one of my favorite songs and there's this line, maybe you'll, you'll recognize this. It says, on that day we'll join the resurrection and stand beside the heroes of the faith. The heroes of the faith in in Hebrews 10 through 12, we see this great cloud of witnesses that were surrounded and and this encouragement, like run the race, you're surrounded, The, the saints that have gone before you are cheering you on. These heroes of the faith, they're on your team. And, And let's read a little bit in Hebrews 11 about what these heroes of the faith did. They left wealth and power to be mistreated and oppressed. They conquered kingdoms, they enforced justice, they obtained promises, they stopped the mouths of lions, they escaped the sword. I love this next one. They were made strong out of weakness. 
made strong out of weakness. Women received back their dead. Some were tortured, refusing relief that they were released that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging, chains and imprisonment, stoned to death. Some were sawn in two, killed with the sword. Some became destitute, mistreated, afflicted wanderers. These are the heroes of the faith, and their stories echo through history and land on our ears today. And here's, here's the good news, is that every single one of these people was just an ordinary, everyday person. God does not pick superstars, which is number five, God uses ordinary people. Do you feel like there's nothing special about you? I'm just an ordinary guy, just doing my ordinary thing. I love the question that God asked Moses when he, he was raising these objections. He said, Moses, what's in your hand? There's so much in that question alone. You already have what you need. It's already in your hand. What's in your hand? Well, if I'm going to do what God wants me to do, I need all these other things. God's like, what's in your hand? Maybe there's a wrench in your hand. Maybe there's a pen in your hand, or maybe there's a stethoscope in your hand. Maybe there's a steering wheel in your hand, or moms, maybe there's a sippy cup in your hand. What's in your hand? You already have what you need. God works through willing, obedient, humble, faithful vessels who draw near, who draw near. He does extraordinary things through ordinary people. Now, this is actually kind of comical if we think about it. You know, we have all of our human means. If you were going to go take Egypt down, if you were going to take the superpower down, what would you do? Well, we're going to overthrow Egypt, so we're going to assemble an army, and we're going to be bigger than them, and we're going to train harder, and we're going to have better technology and better weapons, and hopefully we're going to win the battle. We're going to overthrow Egypt. You know, God's like, let's not do that. Let's send a guy with a stick. Let my people go, says the I am. Pharaoh's like, uh, no. And through these successive plagues that God sends, he breaks the superpower of the day with a guy using a stick. How much more can he work in your life? What's in your hand? What's in your hand? Because what's in your hand is what he's equipped you with to do what he's called you to do. Here's the sixth truth that will help free you from the lies of inadequacy. It's this. Jesus is adequate. I'll speak for myself. I... I've struggled and still and still struggle. I think I've just learned in my life how to struggle before God in a way that it's like, you know I'm struggling, but I'm just not going to let that hold me from doing what you've called me to do. You know, the greatest key to overcoming inadequacy is not powering up or shutting down. That's kind of what we tend to do when we wrestle with this underlying lie of inadequacy is in our humanness, we tend to, we want to power up and be like, I'm going to be loud and aggressive and dominate. Or we shut down and we, we withdraw into this apathetic passivity. Both of those, both of those are reactions to inadequacy and they are not the godly reaction. Now, there is one other technique. You could apply the Stuart Smalley technique. If you guys remember Stuart Smalley from Saturday Night Live, remember that guy? He'd look at the mirror and look in the mirror every day and he would say, I'm good enough and I'm smart enough and doggone it, people like me, right? 
this kind of corny, like, give yourself a little pep talk. Notice in the story how when Moses raises all of his inadequacies, God doesn't go, no, Mo, come on, man, you got this. You are good enough, and you're smart enough. Moses, people, I know you don't feel like it, but people like you. He doesn't do any of that. Because inadequacy, looking, looking internally to overcome inadequacy only makes us feel more inadequate. Because the truth is, is that we are. That is so freeing, though, isn't it? Like, instead of trying to convince yourself that you're not, just admit that you are. You are inadequate. I am inadequate. You know, that's the thing. God puts these things in front of you. He's like, here's what I'm going to do, and I want you to walk in faith, and I'm going to work through you. And you're like, no thanks. (laughs) I'm not your guy. I don't have what it takes. I'm not influential enough. I'm not credible enough. I'm not knowledgeable enough. I don't have the gift set. Send somebody else. This is what requires us, as Pastor Brian talked about, to remain in a posture of dependence. Drawing near to Christ keeps us in a posture of dependence. But here's here's the good news. You can stand on what Philippians 4.13 says. It says, I can do all things through him, through Christ, who strengthens me. The power that you need to rise above inadequacy is not found within, it's found in who you worship and from who you draw strength. Overcoming inadequacy is a journey of faith in God's limitless ability. Now, I want to just kind of bring this home. I, I, um, (laughs) this story in my life, the Lord has used in, in a huge way. I can't tell you how many times in my own heart I've been like, I'm not influential enough, who am I? I'm not knowledgeable enough, what if they ask questions I don't have the answers to? I'm not credible, I don't have some backing that gives me credibility, nobody's going to believe you. I'm certainly not gifted enough, because I see what it takes to do that. I don't have the gift set to do that. And then, but come on, if we're really, really honest, that fifth excuse is not so much about internal insecurities or inabilities. It's more about our willingness and our obedience. And it's, and it's about all of the reasons we tell ourselves why we can't do what God's called us to, but really it's, it's a willingness and an obedience issue. A couple years ago, I was, it was just an ordinary day. Now, when it was like a Saturday morning, I got up, I just spent some time with the Lord, and in my devotions, I, as I was trying to just draw near to Christ, you know, you want to get in the Word in the morning and spend some time in prayer, and in my devotions, I'm reading Exodus 3 and 4, and as I'm reading it, I'm like, my head is hanging further and further, and I'm like, I'm, I was so convicted, like, I just got to go for a walk, and I went for this prayer walk with God, and I'm, I'm like, God. I feel this sense that you're calling me to step out. I've been, I'm, I'm, but I'm good. I love Christ Church, and I love working with Pastor Brian, and I love the comfort and the security and the predictability. I, I'm good. And I just felt this, like, unquenchable fire in a sense, like, no, step and trust. And, and that day, it was about two years ago, I don't know how to say it, other than it wasn't like as I walked back home, all of a sudden all of my fears were gone or my insecurities or my inadequacies. It was still all there. 
I think I just at that point was like, God, I can't not. If I tell you no today, if I say no thanks, send somebody else, what I'm essentially saying is I don't believe you, God. I don't believe you're able to establish a work in White Lake. I don't believe you're able to reach people. I don't believe that you're able to, to bring the gospel and expand the kingdom to people who've never heard. I don't believe you. And I was so, so convicted at that point where I'm like, I guess, I guess I'm just going to take a step of faith. And for me, the first, you guys are going to laugh at me. The first step of faith was like, I need to share with Pastor Brian and the elders that I've got this thing. I can't seem to shake it. And I remember going into that meeting and I, I, you know how we do it? We would put it off. My wife's like, hey, did you talk to Brian yet today? I was like, oh no, you know, all these things came up and it just kind of, we were just too busy, you know. A week goes by, hey, did you talk to Brian yet? Oh man, I meant to, but you know, a phone call came in. No, I was, what I was doing was avoiding because of my own fear and my own insecurities, my own inadequacies. And finally, I take this step. I'm like, and I'm, I must have been like, you know, trembling. I'm like, Brian, I think God's calling me to plant a church and to pastor. He's like, okay, let's explore that together, you know. And it's just one little step of faith, one little step of faith, one little, I'm like, it feels to me, church, honestly, it feels so intimidating and so overwhelming and so daunting. I'm like, God, you, no, I'm not adequate for this. But then I read this story and God was like, I don't care, <laughs> you know? All of the inadequacies, the, the journey of, of overcoming inadequacy, it's a journey of faith into God's limitless ability. So let me ask you this question. Because there's a lot, a lot of people now that are going to be journeying in this together as a church as we strategically multiply it's going to change the way Christ church has been it's not going to be like it was and so there's this feeling of loss and grief but there's also such an excitement and anticipation about the future there's a lot of people that are going to join this new work in White Lake that's going to leave leadership holes that's going to leave serve team holes here at, at Christ church and in that vacuum now I, I know there's people in this room that the Holy Spirit even in this is like hey it's your turn it's time for you to step up. And you're like, but, but no, I'm at That person who teaches in that kid's class, they're so good. They know the Bible and I don't, I don't have the gift set and I don't have, and God's like, I want you to step in faith. I'm gonna, I'm gonna train you. I'm gonna give you everything you need. Maybe God's calling you to lead a community group and you've just kind of put it off. Like, nope, nope, not good enough. That's for somebody else. Send somebody else. I don't have the gift set. And God's like, I wanna work through you. Well, I'm too ordinary. Yeah, that's perfect. Let's do this. What's in your hand? Well, I'm just a... I'm just a stay-at-home mom. Perfect. Let's, let's go with that. Maybe there's a coworker or someone at work that, God, you know he's been saying, I want you to, to witness. I want you to share the gospel with this person. And you're like, I'm, I'm a, that person's way smarter than me. I'm certainly going to find myself in a, in a place where they ask me a question that I can't answer. What do I do then? Here's what you do. You go, that's a really great question. I don't have the answer to that. Can I go do some research on that? And I want to come back like in a week and let's talk about that some more. Thank you. That's a, that's a great question. Let's dig into that some more. And go, I promise you all the hard questions they've, are, they've been asked and there's some really smart, way smarter than me, <laughs> way smarter than you that have thought deeply about these things. You know, maybe as you've drawn near to Christ, there's this, there's this sense that you know there's that relationship that's not right. There's that person that you need to forgive and you need to extend grace to. And you're like, I, I can't, they hurt me too deeply. It's okay to admit that you can't. It's not okay to say, I'm unwilling to walk in your strength. Let me just even lean in a little bit closer. This one is, is 
hits near and dear, especially for the men who are fathers in the room. Maybe God, you know that God has been calling you to spiritually lead and to invest into your family. And because of inadequacy, you've just recoiled back into apathy and passivity. And you're like, I'm just going to do my job. And, and that's good. I'm kind of comfortable just doing my job. Can I ask men, would you be really, really brave? And just raise your hand up if you battle with this sense of inadequacy and in leading your, your family, leading your children, leading your wife spiritually. Just put your hand up high. See, look, it's pretty much every dude. You see that? Now, again, what, what guys will do is we'll flare up or we'll shut down. So wives, just if, if your husband raised his hand, just know that the, the thing he needs most from you is the encouragement. He might do it wrong. He might quote the verse wrong. He might not pray exactly right. He might forget to say in Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what he's... But when he steps in faith to go, God, I feel so inadequate to lead my family spiritually. I feel so inadequate, but I'm gonna trust you that you're going you're gonna to be with me and you're going to help me. When you see him do that, you be his greatest cheerleader. You're like, that was awesome, even if it wasn't awesome. That was awesome. You see, because if you come with criticism of like, oh man, you should have done this and you didn't do that and you should have, you're, what you're doing is you're hitting that like, I already feel like a failure, please. I just, it's so sensitive, right? Now, now fathers, that's not an excuse if you get some criticism or critique and when you're trying to step out and just lead your family, it's not an excuse to just recoil back into, into passivity and apathy again. You don't get your strength from your wife. You get your strength from drawing near to Christ and abiding in Christ and going like, oh, I feel like everything's against me and internally I'm wrestling and I'm battling, but I'm just gonna walk in faith. And even if I'm afraid, even if I'm trembling, even if I'm sure I'm screwing it up, even if I'm sure I'm doing it wrong, I'm gonna walk in faith and I'm gonna watch what God does. Moms, you might feel this very same thing, just I'm so inadequate in how I manage my home and it's such a mess and I can't keep up with my kids and I'm overwhelmed by this. In either case, it's about leaning in and drawing near and, and walking in the power of the great I am, not the I am not. As we step in faith in these, whether it's, whether it's the church plant in White Lake, whether it's a serving need here, whether it's something at home, whether it's something at your workplace, the truth is this, is that God uses ordinary, everyday, humble, faithful, obedient vessels to do his work through and overcoming the inadequacy that you face is it's a journey of faith in God's limitless ability. We're gonna take a few moments in worship today and I wanna just challenge you by the spirit to just, just listen. You probably already know. You're like, I already know, man, where that inadequacy thing is. I already know where I'm fighting. To, I don't believe God because of my own inadequacies. Now, I want to encourage you today, as the Holy Spirit prompts you in the days, the weeks, the months to come, whatever those steps of faith are that you just begin to take them one little bit at a time. It's just one foot in front of another. And if you're afraid and if you're overwhelmed, just take the step anyways and trust God. Let's pray together. Lord, um, this <laughs> is so undoing to us. You are compassionate with our weakness. You know our humanness. You know our insecurities. You know our fears. You know our inabilities. You know that we're inadequate. And Jesus, that's why you had to do what you did because you are adequate. And so we choose out of, out of, 
our will, out of our volition to take our eyes off ourselves and all of what we're not and to focus on who you are and you are adequate and you are stronger and you are able and you will provide and you will give everything we need. And Lord, would you take just the ordinary people of Christ Church in North Muskegon, Michigan and do extraordinary things because we just simply walk in faith and we know, we know, we can't boast it's not us, but would you be glorified? Would people see and give glory to you, our Father who's in heaven? Holy Spirit, bring it to each person and I pray, I pray as we just sit in this truth, it would free us from the lies of inadequacy and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand up and worship together.